Good afternoon, everyone. I hope you're all doing well and keeping safe. We're very happy to see you all, and we're equally excited for what's in store for today's event, which is the very first webinar on REITs hosted by BPI Trade. First and foremost, let me introduce myself. I am Angela Torres, currently head of research at BPI Securities, and I will be your host for today. So this webinar is essentially an expert access event where we have invited our colleagues from BPI Securities to provide you with guidance on investing in REITs, which are a relatively new and exciting asset class in the Philippines. We're also very fortunate to be joined by property experts from Colliers Philippines who will brief us with their outlook on the property market with a specific focus on the office segment where the Philippine REITs are currently invested in. As you know, the Colliers International Group is a global leader in real estate services and investment management operating in 67 countries. Now, let me introduce today's panel. The first one is our colleague, Mr. Miguel Sevidal. He is a research analyst for BPI Securities, and his coverage spans REITs, telcos, consumer, and transportation. The next panel member is Mr. Tristan Valerio, who is the head of the active advisory group of BPI Securities. Then for the Collier's team, we have Mr. Richard Raimundo, who is the managing director for Collier's Philippines, Richard has multiple years of experience in research and consultancy for Colliers, having worked on various projects and sectors across Asia-Pacific. And finally, we have Mr. Joey Bondo, also from Colliers Philippines. He is an associate director for research at the firm heading the research team. He also has multiple years of experience covering the real estate market in the country. So to kick things off, our colleague Tristan Valerio will be presenting on REITs to basically introduce you to this relatively new and exciting asset class, as I mentioned earlier. Then after him will be the presentation from our friends from Colliers Philippines. Then we will be opening the floor for Q&A to end this event. Tristan, the virtual floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you, Jello. Hi, everyone. Good afternoon. Thank you for having us. Thank you for taking time to be in this webinar. So we're going to talk about REITs today, you know, but I think the bigger picture is really how's the real estate scenario here in the Philippines, the real estate situation here. A REIT is just a small but very significant, in my opinion, segment of the whole real estate market. But why is it significant? Because it gives you an opportunity to actually invest into these properties without really putting up, you know, without really having to buy a whole property then, you know, buy a certain portion of it and then you can get dividends. So without further ado, so what is a REIT? Let's get right to it. It's basically a stock corporation that primarily invests in income-generating real estate. That's the most important part, no? Income-generating real estate. I don't think a REIT is something that a REIT should have, in my opinion, cash flow that is steady, that is there, that should give you yield. That's the whole point of this, buying a REIT. Next is required to distribute at least 90% of its distributable income as dividends. This is by law. It's not from read to read. It depends what percentage. No, this is by law. It has to distribute at least 90% of its distributable income. So let's say the company, the read, earns around 100 pesos worth of rent this year. They should give out 90 pesos of that as dividends to its shareholders at least. It can go to at least even, it can even go to 100 pesos. Next is, of course, it's, it has to be listed and traded in the Philippine Stock Exchange. This is also very important because if a company is listed in the PSE, the Philippine Stock Exchange, it means it is subject to all the regulations, all the investor protection that tails a listed company. 
what is the basic structure of a REIT? Basically, the one in, let's talk about the one in the middle first. No? It's the properties. That's the whole point of this. It could be uh, an office. It could be a mall. It could be a hospital. It could be a hotel. It could be anything. It could be any type of property as long as you know it gives out, it collects its leases, and its rents. It generates income. And that income is now dividendable to the shareholders, which is the one, the line above, which is split into two, the sponsor and the public is basically you and I, okay? And then the sponsor, that's the one who has the majority stake in the REIT. Usually the sponsor used to own 100% of all these properties. And now the sponsor will sell to the shareholders around one-third of it to the public, one-third of it, so that the public can now participate in the said properties. Most recent, the, the past two sponsors that created a REIT and listed in the stock exchange in the Philippine stocks are the Ayala Land and, and Double Dragon. So you can say that they are the sponsors. And then us, the investing public, we are the 33%. Okay? And then the ones below, uh, property and manage uh, and the fund manager, these are the people who you know manage the property and then, and then the fund manager manages all the finances of the REIT. So that all you do as an investor, basically, uh, if you buy shares of the REIT, is basically just to buy the shares and then just wait for your dividends. The property manager manages the property, the fund manager manages all the finances and you just wait for your dividends to go to your bank account. Okay, now if you bought an actual piece of property, like let's say a condo, okay, you would have to you know pay all the monthly dues, pay all the taxes, deal with the tenant. All of that is being done by the property manager and or the fund manager. So all of this gives you a product that a very simple product where you can reap the benefits of all of that without all the hassle. That's the beauty of a REIT. Okay, different types of REIT. You can maybe put it into two camps. Now, one is traditional real estate, and the other one is infrastructure. The common uh, denominator here is that there are uh, steady cash flows there. All of those have steady cash flows. So basically, those types of companies, those types of uh, assets that create those cash flows, those can be put into a REIT, and then investors can then get a share of the cash flows from these properties. How is a REIT different from normal companies? I've been asked this so many times. Because first, it's listed in the Philippine Stock Exchange. So I think a lot of people think that oh, since it's, uh, it's listed in the Stock Exchange, isn't it you know, risky? Isn't that risky? Well, of course, any investment has its inherent risks. But I think a REIT, even though it is listed in a stock market like the PSE, not that it's devoid of risk, but it's one of the more... Maybe, should I say, safer investments in the stock exchange, in my opinion, because of the stable cash flows that the company gives as dividend to its investors. So first of all, it has to have a stable business model. The REIT usually invests in mature income-generating real estate assets. If you've backtracked the fa- past five minutes that I've been talking, I've been saying stable cash flow, income-generating, I've been saying that. So that's the most crucial part of what a REIT is. That's the most significant that's the essence of what a REIT is really. Okay, limited property development activities and then limited leverage. So I think, like I said, no, this is one of the more safer uh, segments in the Philippine Stock Exchange. So there. Next is the stability of cash flow. REITs lease out to tenants. Okay, can be via lease agreements. Okay, so it's really 
first is a stable business model. And then, of course, the stability of the cash flow that has to be, you know, the can this be uh, sustainable? This business model, can it be sustainable? That's also very important. Lease agreements usually have long tenors. Then the lease agreements, of course, have to have escalation rates. Just like, you know, a usual landlord would impose on you if you like, let's say you're renting a condo. So I think uh, it's the same thing uh, with these rates. Okay, and then of course, the all-important dividend payout requirement of at least 90% of distributable income. That's the most important part. That is really the important part of a REIT that most, if not all clients, most, if not all investors are looking for. Simple, stable business equals to a relative, relative insurance of fixed dividend payment. I think that's first and foremost. No? When people buy REITs, uh, it's really for the dividends, of course. Like I said, investing in a REIT is similar to buying a rental property, but without all the hassle. Number one, without all the hassle. Number two, you don't have to buy the whole, the whole thing. Let's say if you want to, you see a building in, in Makati, and sometimes you'd wish, I wish I had a, a unit there in that building that I can rent out to maybe an office. You can't do that unless you know, have an X amount of millions of pesos to buy the whole piece of property, right? But with a REIT, you can actually buy it with a thousand shares, okay, worth maybe fifty thousand pesos. You can now earn dividends. You, see. you don't have to pay for the whole thing. You have, you can, what I call it is sachet investing. So you don't have to buy the whole thing. It's a REIT is really very beneficial to small investors, medium-sized investors, and even high net worth individuals who are looking for yield. No? It's not just for a certain segment of the investing public, but I think it, it really covers a whole range. Now, the why. Why should we invest in REITs? Again, high dividend payout. I think the yields are much higher compared to preferred shares. And of course, I would think it's, much, it's also even much higher, significantly much higher than your normal time deposit rates. How high? I think uh, one of the REITs, in the stock exchange right now, I think it's yielding around 4.9, maybe 5% net. If you compare that to a normal savings account, you'd be, you'd be lucky to have 1% gross. So around, let's say 1% net. So you have already have a 4% difference already if you invest in a REIT compared to a savings account. Now compare that a government bond, a five-year government note, be lucky to get paid 2% gross. So that's 1.6% net. So that's a huge, still 5% net is still very far from that. And then next is a preferred share. A preferred shares right now, I think, are trading at around, uh, gives you around 3.5% net. So 5% is still much higher than that. I think the REIT, a REIT in the PSE, you know, paying 5% net is just a tad lower in terms of dividend yield compared to a high dividend paying names like PLDT, Globe, or Meralco, just a tad lower. But in terms of risk, it's very far from the volatility of those normal, quote-unquote, normal stocks like PLDT, Globe, and, ano, and Meralco. No? Because when the stock market uh, goes up or down, these things, PLDT, Globe, and Meralco, for, for example, they really tend to fluctuate very wildly with the market. As for a read, it, the, it usually mm-hmm. does not do that as much. Okay? So you get good yield, but not as much volatility. So I think it has best of both worlds, I think. So that's a very big why you should invest in REITs. Mm-hmm. Next is a stable inflation hedged investment. I think with inflation going at 4 or 5% right now, no? if your money is in savings account earning 1%, you're just losing out. 
every year, you're going to lose out 3 to 4% per annum. But at least with, with a REIT, you can come out ahead maybe at par or maybe you know, ahead by 2 or maybe 1% above uh, inflation. So at least you, you have a fighting chance. And of course, uh, if you look at the lease terms of these, most of these REITs, no, the tenants, the, the lease terms have a 5% uh, escalation rate. So hence, let's say every year, the company imposes that 5% increase. That's in line with inflation, if you think about it. No? So as inflation goes up, the leases, uh, the lease contracts also go up. So hence, it's an inflation hedge. Next is attractive total returns. Leads, how can you actually make money in leads? Of course, it's dividend. <coughs> but of course, the, since it's a listed entity and it has a stock price, the stock price can actually go up as well. And how can it go up? Capital depreciation. How can it go up? Two ways. If interest rates start going down, the dividend yield of the company has to go down as well. For a dividend yield of a company like a REIT goes down, it means that the price has to go up. There, there you go. You can also win in a, in a REIT market by capital appreciation. So there. Total return as a measure of REITs. Okay, total return captures not only the headline dividend yield for the current year, but also projected growth in dividends per share in subsequent years. So, okay, the dividend yield. Like, let's say a company, <coughs> a REIT, pays out 5% dividends this year. But the thing is, like I said, most of these REITs have escalation rates in their uh, lease contracts with their tenants. No? So let's say they have a 5% increase in their lease contracts. It means that there will be next year, there will be more dividendable income to shareholders because the increase ngayon, ano, yung, the lease payments have increased. Hence, the total return is actually growing every year, compounding by 5% per annum on average most of the time. So I think the total return, though you look at it right now, it's just 5%. But in time, if you look at it, it's just going to compound. Basically, you're enjoying the benefits of what a landlord uh, you know, usually gets compounding. Uh, and then before you know it, the lease payments have just gone up significantly in the next five years. Okay, why invest in REITs again? I think, okay, committed experience sponsors. Okay, I think that's a very important for investor to look into who is actually sponsoring that REIT. It's very important, no? Because with that sponsor comes actually the quality of the property. And of course, the expertise that they have in managing the property and managing the finances of those properties. So it's very important. No? It has defensive characteristics. Though it has an elevated amount of dividend yield for the client, uh, for the investor, the amount of volatility that the price has is uh, relatively low compared to other stocks in the stock market. No? Relatively low to the point that it's actually uncorrelated to the index if you look closer. Next is of course, I think this is the biggest come on to a lot of uh, retail investors. No? It's affordable and liquid. Just for an example, no, I think if you look at the trading of uh, Ayala REIT, Ayala Land REIT and uh, DDPR, they average maybe 30 to 40 million pesos each a day of trade. So it's pretty liquid. I mean, on a high day, that's like 100 million pesos worth of trade. On a low day, that's like 20 million pesos worth of trade. Meaning, if let's say you have 10 million pesos worth, of a REIT and you need to dispose of it, you can easily do so in the open market. You can just sell in the open market your 10 million pesos worth and three days later, your funds will be in your account. Okay, this is very important. Now, what are the risks to consider? Of course, the economic and market environment will always have an impact. Developments in the property sector may impact REITs as well. 
And of course, as always uh, with uh, real estate, location, 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 and quality. Quality of properties and tenants. I think these are all things that you should look out for when investing in REITs. Okay, what makes a good REIT? The, the four things that are most important is really properties, tenants, what type of properties, the types of tenants, okay? Who is the sponsor? And of course, the price. Those four things mesh together. And then, of course, you have a very good uh, rate of return. These, things are, these four things are very, very important. Okay, what type of investor is a REIT best suited for? I think it's really the investor that always wanted to invest in real estate, but couldn't for different reasons now. One is, of course, liquidity. Now, there's know-how. Not all people know how to handle, a, know how to manage a real estate property. Okay. Next is investor has a longer term horizon. This is very important. I think if you're going in just for a quick hit for the dividend, you're going to be disappointed because it's not going to move much. The price of the, you know, of the stock is not going to move much. And just going to get hit with all the costs of trading if you do it in the short-term horizon. Next is an investor that has a lot of excess liquidity in savings account, which is not needed anytime soon. A key takeaway, so let's end this part. REIT invests mostly in real estate property. Usually it's offices, retail centers, apartment buildings, medical facilities, etc. So these are mostly cash-generating, income-generating properties. That's the most important and most significant thing that we should remember, investing in a REIT. REITs allow investors to earn from real estate investments without having to buy, manage, and finance properties themselves. So without all the hassle, you can now enjoy the fruits of a building or a mall. Okay, Just buy the REIT and enjoy. REITs generate a steady income stream for investors but offer little in the way of capital appreciation. So there could be some capital appreciation, okay? but if that actually happens, that's just a bonus. But REITs are really there for dividends. And lastly, REITs are publicly traded in the Philippine Stock Exchange and require a stockbroker to participate, like BPA Securities. So this is an added layer of security for you. With all the regulations that the PSE has on all its listed companies, this is added uh, really protection for the investor. Okay, I think that's the last slide. To you, Jello. Okay, thank you for that, Tristan. It's very informative the audience, I hope that Tristan's talk was uh, helpful and made you appreciate stand REITs more. Now, uh, for the second presentation this afternoon, I'd like to pass the virtual floor to our friends from Colliers Philippines. Joey, the virtual floor is yours. Thank you. Hi, hi, Jello. Thank you. Uh, and uh, I want to say uh, hi to our, what, 150 uh participants this afternoon yes so let me just share with you my uh, screen which we prepared for uh, this presentation so as uh, Jello mentioned I will be um, discussing the uh, property market especially the office uh, sector which of course is uh, currently the one of the most attractive assets divested into REIT and um so what do we see in the office uh, market? Of course, the 2020 uh, COVID-19 pandemic has affected uh, the uh, office market in 2020. Uh, and there we're also seeing that in 2021. Although what we have been seeing so far is that there's been an increase in the transactions, uh, even in uh, queries. So later I'll discuss that further. But what we saw, especially latter half of 2020, was an increase in uh, vacancy, and that uh, resulted 
in a correction of lease rates across Metro Manila. But one trend that we also saw during the pandemic is that uh, companies, BPOs, traditional companies, professional firms um, have also been occupying space outside of uh, Metro Manila. So you have areas such as Cebu, Iloilo, Laguna, uh, Pampanga, which uh, remain to be very attractive sites for a lot of BPO companies. In fact, when we had our presentation um, last April, um, top three locations for uh, companies that are planning to return to office and uh, those that are looking for sites outside of Metro Manila are Laguna, Cebu, and Pampanga. So just to give you an idea of total leasable office stock across Metro Manila, that's 12.5 million square meters spread across uh, these major business districts, about 200,000 square meters of office space was completed in uh, the first quarter of uh, the year. Uh, and um, we are projecting about 880,000 square meters of uh, new office space that will be completed in 2021, as you can see here. Um, more than three times uh, the uh, actual completion, which is uh, a little over 200,000 square meters that we saw in 2020. So developers, uh, of course, pared down the uh, completion of new office buildings because of uh, slower demand in uh, the market. But uh, in 2021, the completion will likely pick up to about 880,000 square meters. Um, we're starting to see green shoots of recovery. And this graph will tell you that first quarter of 2021, the transactions that we recorded for the quarter are in fact the highest since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. And um, what's notable also is that during this period, we have a new demand driver. So this is the data center segment, which uh, took up uh, space um, in uh, Ortigas French first quarter of 2021. So even the trend um, in terms of um, transactions, um, we're seeing that increasing starting second quarter of 2020. As you can see here, the trend as represented by the darker blue bars has been increasing. And then uh, the vacated spaces uh, has been declining, represented here by uh, the lighter blue bars. So only 173,000 square meters of office space vacated first quarter of the year from a high of about 124,000 square meters vacated by occupants in the third quarter of 2020. Vacancy um, increased in 2020 to 9.1%, uh, so more than double the 4.3% that we recorded in 2019. We're likely to see vacancy again inching up by 2021, but of course, that is uh, mainly due to the substantial increase in new supply, which, uh, as I mentioned earlier, is about 880,000 square meters for 2021. In certain locations across Metro Manila, we are seeing some business districts wherein um, the transacted lease rates are now at about 20-30% uh, cheaper compared 
to the published rate. So you have certain business districts here, Ortigas, for example, even Makati, Fringe of Makati, wherein tenants were able to haggle. It is, uh, after all, a tenant's market that we're seeing at this point. So they have a greater elbow room for uh, bargaining. They have greater haggling of power. And that has been resulting in um, the uh, decline in average lease rates. Of course, uh, it doesn't help that a lot of POGOs, offshore gaming companies, have already left uh, Metro Manila. um, And uh, that has resulted in more office space being um, returned to the market. During their peak, the uh, POGOs occupied about 1.3 million square meters of office space. Now that is down to about 850,000 square meters, meaning they've already um, vacated close to 450,000 square meters of office space in Metro Manila, and that is pretty significant. But uh, there's some indicators telling us that uh, there could be some um, recovery in terms of demand from POGOs. The big question is, will the the POGOs return to Metro uh, Manila? I note that in 2000, first quarter of 2021, we recorded about 20,000 square meters of office uh, space take up from the Pogo sector in the Bay Area. But overall, what we have observed is that the regulatory environment is becoming more accommodating. You have this the Pogo tax bill uh, approved on second reading in Senate. And of course, uh, President Duterte's recent uh, um, uh, pronouncement of um, the Philippines becoming more accommodating to Pogos. He wants to see more POGOs operating here, mainly because um, these are additional sources of uh, tax revenues to finance the government's infrastructure and social service programs. As I mentioned, there's a new kid on the block, uh, first quarter of the year, that is the data uh, center uh, segment, which accounted for about 12% of total deals that we recorded in the first quarter of 2021, represented uh, by the outer circle here and highlighted by the red shade. And um, these are just some of the companies that uh, occupied space first three months of 2021. As I mentioned earlier, uh, you have a data center close to 20,000 square meters in Artigas uh, Fringe. You have uh, Pogo, uh, surprisingly, which took up more than 24,000 square meters of office space in the Bay Area. But there's some traditional uh, BPO companies that still took up space. So you have a government agency, Philippine Statistics Authority, occupying space in Quezon City, Amazon, Shopee, JNT, uh, AXA Insurance. So it gives you an idea of the profile of companies that continue to take up space despite the pandemic. These are mostly companies that uh, are providing essential services into e-commerce, insurance, and of course, uh, government uh, services. So this continue to take up space uh, despite the pandemic. And moving forward, these are the uh, profile of companies that are likely to occupy more space. So this is just a snapshot of the vacancy, the total available supply, and the total stock that we're seeing now across Metro Manila, Makati, 
vacancy rate of 5.2%. Previously, this was only 2-3% pre-pandemic. Uh, Bay Area vacancy of about, what, 8.1%. Uh, this would only hover to about the three to five percent the pre-pandemic uh, period. So obviously, vacancies across uh, major business districts in- business districts increased uh, during the pandemic, especially first quarter of 2021, mainly because of a subdued demand. But as I highlighted earlier, we're seeing green shoots of uh, recovery. And speaking of uh, recovery, of course, the outsourcing companies continue to occupy space, according to IBPAP, uh, the BPO companies continue to hire more people and uh, continue to um, operate uh, despite uh, the pandemic. Of course, the CREATE law, uh, the implementation of uh, CREATE law will only provide um, clarity to and better direction to where this outsourcing company should um, really gravitate uh, towards? Will they continue to expand given um, a clear sense of uh, the taxes that uh, they will be paying and incentives that uh, they uh, will be enjoying uh, over the next five to seven years or the, you know, the sunset uh, provision uh, and the period provided by the creator. So it's interesting um, how this uh, create law will further entice these uh, BPO companies to continue to occupy space. Uh, I understand that the implementing rules and regulations of the law have yet to be um, released. So, um, but what it provides is basically clarity because if you're, of course, a business, you don't want to invest in a location where you don't have an idea of uh, the taxes that you will pay or, you know, the, the, you have this fear of rules being changed or modified midstream. So post-pandemic plans, uh, these uh, companies, especially those that are into healthcare, e-commerce, banking, insurance uh, activities, are likely to continue um, occupying uh, space. Um, BPOs have also expressed plans to occupy, uh, take up office space outside of Metro Manila. Of course, at call years, we have a lot of uh, tenants, a lot of clients that are aggressively looking for office space in Cebu, in Iloilo, in Pampanga, in Cagayan de Oro, Davao. And um, most of these uh, deals are uh, still active and uh, we are still uh, talking, speaking with these clients and uh, we're just, you know, in the process of doing some uh, due diligence. Of course, the travel restrictions have somehow slowed the um, process of due diligence. But what we can tell is that definitely there's a demand for office spaces outside of uh, Metro Manila. And uh, of course, we are seeing the implementation of hybrid uh, working models already. And this will likely continue uh, for the long haul. It's not something that will only be implemented in the next six to 12 months. We believe that companies 
will uh, continue to implement split operations of, or perhaps half of uh, their employees working from home, half of their employees uh, reporting on site. You have to note that these BPOs and even the professional uh, services companies handle proprietary, sensitive, confidential, financial um, information that should be uh, protected. So they should really uh, work on site or data should be crunched or, or processed in an environment where there will not be a, uh, a breach of uh, data privacy or security. So these are just some of uh, the trends that we're seeing in the market right now. Iloilo uh, surprised us because this is one city that uh, cornered the huge chunk of uh, transactions um, that we recorded in the first quarter of uh, 2021, totaling 14,000 square meters and Iloilo in fact is one of the key areas outside of Metro Manila where vacancy is uh, very low at this point only 3% even much lower than what we saw in Cebu at least for the first quarter of 2021. As I mentioned uh, some areas cities where we're receiving queries include Davao, Bacolod, Pampanga as well as uh, Cagayan the Oro. So um, one of our um, recommendations, of course, for developers is continue to be on the lookout for a development opportunity, especially with these BPO companies um, gravitating towards uh, these areas. Previously, uh, we thought that uh, these companies were planning to uh, open more offices outside of Metro Manila because of a more stable um, COVID-19 situation. Uh, but this, of course, uh, was reversed and uh, we're seeing some spikes in uh, these areas. But uh, that, of course, has somehow been resolved. So there's a better inoculation in these areas. The LGUs are really working um, to uh, minimize the number of uh, and control the infection. So still, these locations remain very attractive and uh, viable for expansion for outsourcing companies that are still picking up office space outside of Metro Manila. As I mentioned earlier, the office space occupied by Pogos has uh, dropped to only about 850,000 square meters from a high of 1.3 million square meters during their peak, which was uh, between 2018 and 2019. So um, so that's only about 860,000 square meters from a high of 1.3 million. So let me just uh, highlight here some recovery enablers. As I mentioned, we're seeing green shoots of recovery for the office market. Um, US, UK, these major economies are seeing uh, some recovery already. And uh, we hope that uh, you know, companies based in these countries, if they want to grow, expand at a much faster pace, uh, we hope that, um, and we believe that they will be outsourcing more activities from uh, top outsourcing hubs such as India and the Philippines. COVID-19 vaccine rollout, of course, uh, we're seeing a more aggressive um, inoculation in Metro Manila. 
and even outside of uh, Metro Manila. But of course, Metro Manila accounting for what? The, more than 30% of the country's GDP. It's important that uh, inoculation or herd immunity, population uh, protection is first achieved achieved in a Metro Manila so as to somehow um, make sure that the business activities are normalized soon and that uh, more people start to report to traditional offices and that should have a positive impact on office space absorption. The implementation of CREATE, I, as I discussed earlier, and uh, a lot of um, stakeholders are uh, eagerly waiting for the release of the implementing rules and regulations. Infrastructure projects, of course, should help ease uh, commute, the transportation of employees, businessmen, investors. So you have Skyway 3, Biglis Ortigas Link Bridge, um, Estrella Pantaleon uh, Bridge. So, so all these infrastructure projects, of course, contribute to a more attractive absorption, a greater absorption of office space, especially within major business districts, Fort Bonifacio, Makati, Ortigas Center. Uh, of course, these infra will improve connectivity. And overall, these uh, projects, public projects, will help uh, raise values of a lot of uh, office spaces as well as residential properties moving forward. And again, um, there's the opportunity for provincial demand and uh, a lot of uh, provincial local developers are really uh, looking at uh, this aggressive and stronger recovery for um, take up in uh, the provinces. And um, as I mentioned, you have the likes of Pampanga, uh, Davao, uh, Cebu, Iloilo, Laguna, uh, that are really cornering a lot of uh, deals. And uh, moving forward, this will probably lead uh, the take-up of office space outside of Meta. So these are just some of our recommendations for landlords. And um, uh, very, we're very positive that uh, some of them have uh, already implemented this, of course, offering of a blend and extend the uh, strategies, uh, of course, landlords now providing a greater uh, concession to tenants because, after all, it is uh, a tenant's market um, at this point, and uh, they've been providing customized uh, incentives, longer fit-out, uh, rent-free periods, as well as uh, rental increase uh, deferment. And of course, uh, continued um, exploration of uh, development opportunities in the countryside as a response to the provincial demand, which uh, we see uh, is still increasing despite the COVID-19 pandemic. For a lot of tenants, of course, these are just some of our recommendations, but what really stands out is the implementation of flight to cost and flight to quality. So flight to quality, uh, to quality means that tenants now have the opportunity to transfer, consolidate operations in uh, newer office buildings uh, because of uh, lower lease rates. So if you have, if you are growing a company, you have you're from the essential segment and you have plans to occupy office space for five to 10 years, now is the right time to lock in deals while uh, lease rates are still 
low continued diversification in other locations. So they're implementing hub and spoke. The companies have been implementing hub and spoke. Uh, what they do is they minimize their um, footprint in their central location, say in Makati, CBD, but they will occupy smaller offices in Alabang or in Quezon City, um, in, in French areas. And uh, typically, companies are likely to follow the residential communities of their employees. So they would occupy smaller offices and some of them even occupying flexi uh, workspaces near the residential communities of their employees. So that's what we have uh, been seeing. And uh, of course, continued um, assessment of short-term options or post-pandemic operations. So after the pandemic, Uh, will you be occupying a flexi workspace or will it be viable for you to occupy a flexi co-working space now uh, as you are on a wait and see mode and uh, just uh, let this uh, COVID-19 pass and then uh, look at um, or explore a longer lease term. So these are just some of uh, the opportunities that we have been um providing to a lot of tenants some recommendations, some options for them. As I mentioned, POGOs have also vacated uh, a lot of office space and some of these vacant office spaces are PESA proclaimed. So if you're a BPO and are taking advantage of uh, the incentives given by the government, of course, it uh, matters that you're in a PESA location to be able to take advantage of uh, the incentives being offered by um, the government. So uh, basically that's um, what we have for the office market. Uh, This is just, um, you know, a snapshot of uh, the REIT markets in Asia. Of course, the Philippines, still a relatively smaller market compared to Japan, Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, Malaysia. Um, we're still, uh, the REIT market here is uh, still at its um, very early uh, stages. Uh, only a couple of uh, developers already maximizing this REIT opportunity. But of course, given uh, what we're seeing with um, Ayala, as well as uh, Double Dragon, uh, we see, we're likely to see more companies, more developers, of course, uh, following suit. Uh, this is just a comparison of REITs across uh, Asia. Again, just a snapshot of average uh, dividend yield and the interesting asset classes. Of course, here in the Philippines, primarily it's office pre-pandemic. We consider um, uh, retail malls, but of course, malls are, are not too attractive at this point. So uh, really, it's the office asset that uh, has really has that upper hand in terms of viability, feasibility as a REIT asset. Of course, in other countries across Asia, uh, some are um, divesting industrial assets. And again, that's a very uh, interesting asset class, especially with the plan of a double dragon to divest their industrial assets, warehouses, and uh, divest them into their read vehicle. So um, again, that's uh, what we have for, for uh, this afternoon. I think we are allotting more time also for our Q&A. Shalo. Okay, Joey. As always, solid presentation. A very informative. 
it's good to know that quite constructive on the medium term in the Philippines and that there are some green shoots, but you know, the near-term impact of the pandemic on overall rental and occupancy rates. Okay, so we'll be opening the floor for Q&A. So for the audience, if you have more questions for the BPI or Collier's teams, please feel free to send them over to the webinar hosts through the Zoom chat facility. Actually, some of the answers to the questions we're getting tackled in one way or another in the previous presentations, but benefit, especially to those who were not able to join at the start, we want to entertain all of your queries. Okay, uh, um, I'd just like to this, uh, add that my boss, Richard Raimundo, yes. Managing Director of Colleges Philippines, is also here yes. and uh, to uh, join me uh, in, in answering some of the, the questions. Yeah, sure. Uh, hi, Richard. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Yes, we'll, uh, we'll send over some questions uh, to you guys uh, in a bit. So, okay, I'll just run through the Q&A list. I guess the, for the first question is for the Colliers team. The question in here is that, I think I guess, again, this was sort of discussed in the presentation, but the, the question is, uh, what are the office demand drivers beyond 2021? And can you also talk more about data centers and uh, how sustainable is the segment over the medium term? Thank you. Louis? Yeah, well, in terms of uh, recovery enablers, Agello, as I mentioned earlier, the BPO companies, especially those into health information management, uh, e-commerce, uh, finance, and uh, banking insurance, they continue to occupy space, and they're likely to uh, be a uh, major office space uh, demand driver moving forward uh, post pandemic. In terms of uh, the contribution of uh, the data center segment. As I stressed earlier, it's a new kid on the block. First quarter of the year, we recorded about uh, what 20,000 square meters of uh, take up from this data center segment. Uh, that was in Ortigas French. Uh, we're seeing some interest in Cebu also. You probably uh, saw that uh, news of a company uh, planning to establish their data centers in Cebu. And what I can tell is that we have uh, some clients. Uh, I just can't disclose, of course, the companies that we're working with right now, but uh, there's a great, great interest from these companies to open uh, data centers here in Metro Manila. Uh, of course, there's some you know technical considerations when you're talking about about um, a data center, but definitely it, it's a viable um, demand driver. One of the demand drivers, in fact, that uh, we're considering, especially as we see a slower demand from Pogo. So there should be you know, another segment that could fill that void. And let's see if uh, it is the data center sector that uh, will fill that void left by Pogos. Okay. Much. Um... Joey. I guess the for the next question, since we're talking to the Polyers guys, I guess this one is for both uh, Richard and Joey. The question is, how nascent is the, I, I guess you, you touched upon this earlier, how market in the Philippines relative to other markets in Asia like uh, Hong Kong and Singapore and by the sense of where you think the REIT market in the Philippines is headed in the next you expect more retail and other types like, such as industrial uh, to do an offering soon. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you saw you saw Joey's slide yep. a while ago, and you saw how how, how low the Philippines is. So capitalization wise, is it only a billion or one? Yep. 
1.5 billion as compared to Japan of what close to 140 billion. Of course, that's more developed. Singapore, I think, is at 60 billion, and then Hong Kong is, uh, I think, at 50 billion. Um, of course, these countries have all had their reach for a longer time uh, and have had a lot of companies that, that have listed into, into those uh, into REITs. Um, it's very nascent. It's very early days for us. And that's the interesting part is you're getting, you could participate on this one in its early stages. And if you look at what the more mature REITs have done, so look at Singapore, look at Hong Kong, you know, their strategies have been more advanced. Um, the strategy for the Philippines right now is mostly what? Basically, you have the REIT company and then getting, you know, more assets from the parent company and, and accreting more value into the REIT. That's fairly obvious. And I think for the next months or probably a year or two, that's probably the mode of expansion that you'll probably be looking at, at, at for REITs. Um, but look at what they've done in other countries. Um, you know, they, they've now purchased from third-party developers. They've um, done value-add properties, basically buying underperforming assets. A uh, good example, LinkRate, buying underperforming malls in Hong Kong, um, renovating that, and then doubling the rents after the renovation is done, improving the tenancy. So what, what the, the good thing there is, you increase the net asset value of the REIT, and also you increase the dividends that you could give to, um, to your investors. Um, another one is leverage. Um, our companies right now are all accreting, but um, no REIT company has used leverage yet. So you could just imagine the power of leverage in increasing uh, the assets uh, for REITs. Um, also, another one is specialization. You know, if you go around the region, there are REITs which are fairly specialized. Um, Ascendas is specialized in industrial, for instance. If you go to LinkRead, that's um, specialized in, um, you know, community malls and parking lots. So it's interesting at how much we can still do with REITs moving forward. Okay. Thank you for that, Richard. It's very interesting. Um, having the perspective of general peers who are way advanced, I guess, in terms of uh, market. So that's where we could probably look at three seven years down the line. And thank you again for that, for the inputs. We'll go back to the Colliers team in a bit. Maybe I switch gears first to the my BPI colleagues. This question is for Miguel, our research analyst. Hi, Miguel. The question is, uh, what's the difference between investing in REITs and investing in the sponsor or the property developer is investing in the latter riskier. Thank you. Well, a sponsor isn't specially defined. So both are stocks. I think that that's the first thing that we should note. Uh, both are equity. But unlike the sponsor, the REIT is bound by special regulations because of the REIT law. So one of them is that 90% of the income or the distributable income specifically goes to you as an investor. The sponsors don't, like that, don't have that under regulation. So, so that's one of the main differences. The other is what you get. With the REIT, you get the dividend yield. You get 5 to 6%. And then you get upside risk or it's a bonus if you get capital appreciation. 
with the sponsor, the likes of Ayala Land, SM Prime. It's really a play on the long term. You, you buy them at a discount, preferably you buy them cheap. And then eventually you bet on the property developer's ability to translate that to long-term growth. So I think, and you can see this in the stock prices of the, the REITs, the REITs versus the sponsor. The REITs give you near-term outperformance, especially if they add to their portfolio, if they add assets and they give you the dividend yield, whereas the sponsors give you the more long-term growth. So nonetheless, you know, if you're a long-term investor, both work. you can actually just have both the REIT and the sponsor. Okay. Thank you, uh, Miguel, for that. And then there's just a follow-up on the sponsor and the REITs. So w- what really is the, the rationale behind the REIT structure and why do the sponsors pursue this? Well, I think as an investor, you want to make sure that the, the REIT is taken care of. I think that's the, that's the first thing. So for example, the REIT, first and foremost, you need somewhere to get assets from. So, so that's the first thing. Eventually, the REIT will grow in size. In the immediate source, you, uh, yung source of assets that they can add to the REIT would be the sponsor itself. Second, the REIT structure has a fund manager and a property manager. The fund manager gives you, kind of executes the investment strategy. What's the best asset that we can inject or add to the REIT? So the fund manager does that. And of course, you need another set of managers to do the day-to-day maintenance of the REIT. That's what the property manager is for. So just like owning property, if you have your own real estate, uh, in a way, these are sort of the managers or the gatekeepers or the, the caretakers of the REIT. You have the property manager for the day-to-day. Of course, the sponsor who, who kind of um, uh, is the maestro or takes care of the entire show. Uh, so that's why the REIT structure is there, uh, ultimately for the well Thank you. Thank you, Miguel. That's very helpful. The answer was able to address your, your concern. Going to Tristan, our colleague also from BPI Sec. Tristan, the, there's a question here. What type of money or which part of my portfolio should I reach? That's a very good question. Um, I think the part of your portfolio that you should put in a read is the one that, first of all, I think that's money that you should, that, that you're not going to need anytime soon. That's one. Number two is I think this is perfect for quote unquote non performing funds in your portfolio. When I say that, it's the, the part of your money where it's just earning 1%. Maybe you can put it somewhere here in REITs. Maybe you're in a couple of percentage points higher, like 5%, maybe 4%. That's another one. And answer the other part of that question. What, what's the type of money that I shouldn't put here? I think short-term money. You shouldn't put here, like let's say you need it for your mortgage or your kid's um, tuition. But yeah, you can do that. But yeah, it's not advisable. I wouldn't do that. I would just keep that in my savings account. But it's really catered more for the longer term money, wherein maybe you're going to hold it for maybe a year at least to reap the benefits or even longer. That's better. Thank you, Tristan. For speculative types of investors. Um, oh, by the way, guys, just wanted to let you guys know that our colleague Jerome Getmaitan from uh, Markets of BPI Capital is here with us today. So I'll just take this uh, opportunity to ask him about the planned REIT IPOs in the market. Hi, Jerome. Thanks for joining us first and foremost. And we know that there are a couple of REIT IPOs in the pipe. Would you be able to uh, at least talk about them and also you know, comment on how important are the REITs in further developing the Philippine capital market? Thank you. Sure, Angelo. Uh, those are very, very uh, good questions. There are currently three REITs that would like to list on the Philippine Stock Exchange, Angelo. 
First is yep. uh, Phil Invest Reed Corp or Phil Reed. Second is RL Commercial Reed Inc or RCR. And lastly is M Reed Inc or M Reed. The first one to file among the three is Phil Reed. Its assets are 17 office buildings, 16 of which are in Northgate Cyber Zone Alabang, and one in Phil Invest Cebu. Uh, in terms of aggregate GLA, I think it's over 301,000 square meters. Tenant mix is mostly composed of BPOs and traditional offices. Um, minimum POGO exposure. Uh, there are built-in rental escalations in, in the contracts with these tenants of between 4 to 10% per annum. For RCR, uh, it's about 14 commercial real estate assets in CBDs in Metro Manila, Naga, Tarlac, Cebu, and Davao. The aggregate GLA of, of which is over 425,000 square meters. In terms of tenant mix, it's mostly composed of IT BPM companies and traditional office sector clients with minimum POGO exposure. There are built-in rental escalations as well in these contracts with the tenants of between 3 to 5% per annum. For MREIT, its assets are 10 properties located in the CBDs in Metro Manila, McKinley Hill in Taguig and Eastwood in Quezon City and in Iloilo. Aggregate GLA is about 224,000 square meters. Then it makes us mostly composed of BPOs and traditional offices. There are also built-in rental escalations in the contracts with tenants of between 5 to 10% per annum. Uh, for more information for everyone who's here, uh, uh, I, I encourage them to check the respective REIT plans and prospectuses um, of these uh, three uh, upcoming uh, REITs. Now for your second uh, question, Angelo, for potential issuers, REITs are a way for them to unlock or realize value. It is also another way of funding their projects. It's basically a way of recycling capital. The sponsor gets the proceeds from the IPO, when the proceeds are used to create other assets here in the Philippines, which the issuer may choose to include in their existing REIT vehicle or choose to create another REIT vehicle. And this can be done over and over again. For potential issuers, the REIT vehicle also gets the tax benefit as a REIT. For investors, this could be a, a potential inflation hedged instrument for them as there are built-in rental escalation contracts, uh, escalation clauses in their contracts. Retail and institutional investors can invest in REITs at affordable ticket sizes. Investors can also receive dividends and dividend yield growth. The upside growth can come from your annual rental escalations, asset enhancements, and accretive asset acquisitions. Okay. Yeah, thanks for that, Jerome. I that the, there's a lot of activity in the REIT market. I think times for the Philippines, so obviously for the REIT market and for investors alike. We do have still a number of questions that you know i guess we'd like to tackle thank you for that jerome by the way this is for the colliers team the question is uh will the work from home setup or scheme affect the attractiveness and absorption of uh, office space going forward thank you well what we've been um, seeing in, in the market right now is companies even if uh, they're working from home uh, some of them are um, asking their staff to also report on site. So uh, the one of the more popular options now is uh, split operations, uh, hub and spoke. So split operations, half of their employees working from home, half of their employees uh, working um, on site. Or hub and spoke, meaning they will be minimizing uh, their head office footprint, uh, but they will be occupying uh, smaller offices, uh, office spaces near the residential communities of their employees. So that somehow offsets 
the uh, decline um, in in um, office space in in your central um, location. So it 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 uh, is a, a mixed strategy. Uh, that's uh, what we have been seeing so far. So the work it's a mix of uh, work from home as well as uh, some. Employees still uh, tasked to or assigned to uh, report on site again because of uh, the sensitive uh, information that they are handling. So we believe that this scheme is likely to be uh, implemented beyond the uh, pandemic. It will probably, or some of it will probably be part of the better new uh, newer <laughs> uh, normal, and um, it's it will still contribute to the overall attractiveness of. Uh, of um of a central uh, location or, or a traditional um, office space. Yeah, I think you know the traditional office won't go away. Um, what will happen probably is that it could be a hybrid. So we're seeing is that probably there's 10, 20 percent of uh, the workforce that would be allowed to you know, be more flexible and work from home. But Honestly, we've been in this great work from home experiment here in the Philippines for what, 18 months now. So it's probably one of the longest quarantine in the world, form of quarantine in the world that uh, yeah. we've seen. And honestly, if, if, if anyone there could say that, you know, it is 100%, it works for them, yeah. I doubt it. Um, I, we, we see it here in our office that there's some collaboration and some productivity that that we miss in, in, in the office. So yes, maybe there's a 10-20% leeway, but not necessarily that the traditional office will go away. That's right. Or better or best done in the office space. That's my view. Thank you for those inputs, uh, Colliers team. There's just a follow-up on the data centers, I guess, given that it's it is the block. Um the, the question from the floor is uh which property developers are leasing out to these? I'm not sure if you're at liberty to discuss that, but could you at least probably share the profile of these? these Are we the one, <laughs> the one in our case that was Robinson's, I think? Yes, I think that, it was that's Bridgetown. a building by RLC. In yes. Um, we're also working with another developer, but I think uh, we can't uh, disclose yeah. it yep. yet. Sure. But the one that was uh, closed in the first quarter was RLC. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's that's helpful. Thank thank you very much, team. Again, switching gears again to my colleague Miguel from Research and DPI Securities. There's a question here on what type of financial metrics should I be evaluating when I look at or at tend to invest in REITs and how do I compare the other REITs in the market? Thank you. Okay, so first, we'll start with the operational metrics, which begets the uh, financial metrics. So look at the occupancy rate, the rental escalation, how much they're able to increase rents each year. And then you can also do that on a per property basis. So those two main things. When you get, once you have those operational metrics, you'll be able to determine the dividend per share and ultimately the dividend yield. I think at the end of the day, REITs are a game of yields. So if you you get a REIT that beats the, the PSEI yield, which is 1.8%, and the, the RTB yield, for example, that you get, the treasury, then I think that's good. I think most of the REITs, the indicative is about 5 to 6%, and that should be better than um, the, their other dividend place events. So, so look at the operational metrics, and then ultimately, if that will allow them to deliver on the yield. Uh, so... Dividend yield ultimately at the at the end of the day. Yeah. Okay. 
lot of stuff to really consider when uh, investing in REITs. But again, as what uh, it's really the dividend aspect of, of it that makes it that. Um, thank you for that, Miguel. And then Tristan, there's a question for you here. It was mentioned in the first presentation that REITs generate a steady income stream for investors, and that's widely understood. But uh, you also mentioned they also offer some capital appreciation. So I just want to get more color on what will drive the price appreciation for REIT stocks. Thank you. It's mainly two things now. One is market forces, the macroeconomy. If interest rates go down, uh, eventually people, money, okay, will look for higher yields. And that, let's say, you used to enjoy 2% or maybe let's say you used to enjoy 5% with, your, with a corporate bond that you put your money five years ago. And then your banker calls you, hey, sir, it, it's already, it's matured already. Okay, how much do, does that company pay in terms of their corporate bonds? It's now 2%. And then you say, what? So now you look for higher yielding product. Now you start looking elsewhere and then that you, your money may soon find REITs like ARIT or DDMPR, which offer higher yields. With that higher yield, that demand will you know, push the price of a REIT up because the yield is so high. So that's one aspect, market forces. The other aspect, I think our colleagues from Collier said, these REITs, either they put in more properties into the company, and actually, they can actually even do leverage. The, the point of the matter is, if they put in more properties into the company, that means more uh, income for the company. It means more dividendable income. So that should, be, if there's growth in the income that could be paid out as dividends, that could mean higher yield for the for the REIT, for the company. And a higher yield, of course, will be seen by the market. And then eventually money will flow into that yield, uh, into that into the REIT. And then eventually the yield will compress. And how will the, how will the yield compress? That's through appreciation of price. I think that's, those are two factors that can, that can play into first is, of course, market forces. And then next is, of course, what the company will do. So those are the main, two main avenues of how price appreciation can happen. Okay, thank you for that, Tristan. Very helpful. I guess we're, we're about we're, uh, tracking beyond our schedule of 5 p.m. Yes, maybe let's, before we close, maybe two more questions for the panel since everyone's here. Um, there's another question for the Collier's team. I guess this was uh, briefly a while ago in the second presentation. But uh, again, the, this client would like to ask on your outlook on the POGO segment. Do you think they will still return to the Philippines? And that especially given are around the foreigner and that the new admin may have a different stance on for this segment. Thank you. Well, uh, we were pleasantly surprised because first quarter of uh, 2021, we were able to record uh, a deal from a Pogo. So that's close to 25,000 square meters mm-hmm. in uh, the Bay Area. But the question is, are they really coming back uh, to the Philippines? We believe that the regulatory framework, the regulatory environment is pretty accommodating at this point. You have, of course, the tax, the Pogo tax bill, which has been approved on second reading by uh, the Senate. And uh, President Duterte recently saying that uh, his administration is now more welcoming to Pogo. So that is that should send a positive signal, a good signal to those uh, planning to uh, go back to the Philippines, operate here again, and uh, occupy more space. Because 
the impact of Pogos is really not just on office space. It's also on the residential market. We saw their impact and how the demand really raised the values of a property in the Bay Area. Uh, take up of office space peaked in 2018. 2019, mainly driven by Pogos. Pogos account for what? More than a third of uh, total office transactions during uh, the peak of uh, transactions or deals from this offshore gaming segment, 2017 up to 2019. So we believe that uh, overall, the regulatory environment looks accommodating at this point. But what we can also um, highlight is that the situation, the health situation, the COVID situation is a major stumbling block in terms of really uh, welcoming more POGOs and enticing them to go back uh, to uh, the Philippines. So let's see, maybe uh, once the um, situation is uh, contained, there's less infection uh, and uh, matched by an accommodating policy environment, perhaps it's um, about time for for them to return to the Philippines. Yeah, and I think that's why when you know when when you're looking at the REIT company, uh, it's very important to also look at the, the tenancy. And um, all of these companies are very transparent as to what is the the makeup of their tenancy. Is it a KPO? Is it a BPO? Is it a POGO? You know, and they they've been very transparent on that one. So uh, POGOs can be a bit. Um, uh, gives you fluctuations, but then you have companies like BPOs and KPOs, which are more traditional and then um, has more stability. So that's why that's that's always included in the strategy uh, of the fund manager. Yeah, so when you buy into a REIT, look into the tenancy. Uh, is it a major company? You know, look at a REIT. Uh, Solaris has what Shell, for instance, as uh, taking up the whole building. Uh, so that gives you um, more confidence in, 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 in the tenancy of, uh, of that building. Thank you, Richard. So just uh, to reiterate on that, the, uh, when investing in a REIT for quality of the tenants uh, in the building, and that would uh, please give you a sense of you know, where the dividends will be going forward you know, and then how much you can earn, etc. And then maybe this is the last question I have since again we're exceeding the 5 p.m. window for this event. I guess, Miguel, or if you could answer this very good question, I think, uh, how is investing similar to investing in actual properties? Thank you. Well, at the end of the day, uh, it, it's like investing in multiple properties at once. Of course, when you have real estate, you have a caretaker, you have people to manage it. You And the, the cash flow you get is the rent from the people you, you, you lease out to or rent out to um, the structure is fairly similar, except um, it's indirect here. You're not the actual owner of the property. Instead, there's a fund manager, there's a property manager, and there's a, a REIT company that does that for you. But the, the, the parallel is that the rent that you get, if you invest in actual real estate, is the, the, the equivalent of that in investing a REIT, in a REIT would be the dividends that you receive as an investor. Um, you get a, a stream of steady cash flows that beats inflation. So... Uh, except that here uh, you're less you're you're a passive and you're a passive investor as opposed to actually uh, doing the nitty gritty of uh, real estate management. If I may add, sure, Cello, I think Sevi touched on 
part there when he said that if you buy into a REIT, it's basically you're buying a multitude of properties. So I think that's also very important because let's say if you are a real estate investor and let's say you have just enough money to buy just one property and let's say your tenant you know, uh, just suddenly wants to live in your condominium anymore. He wants to live in Boracay. What, what can you do? And then for five months, you don't have uh, any rental income. Okay. Whereas in, in a REIT, you're five minutes let's say you're, you bought that condo for five million. Let's say uh, instead of doing that, and then you let's say you buy a REIT, it's more spread out, your five million. So let's say one tenant actually goes down, still have a multitude of other tenants that will put, that will, you know, pay their lease their rents no, and pay you a dividend. So I think buying a REIT, no, investing in a REIT also spreads out your risk. That's the biggest thing that, uh, that I can get from what Sebi said, from what Miguel said. Uh, that's yeah. something. Yeah. So it's, it's less hassle to invest in a REIT than to manage your own property. Plus, you get the benefit of in a relatively liquid asset class. Plus, of course, it's well diversified also the number of assets inside okay so i guess that's about it for event today before i really close this now i'd just like to provide some key takeaways on REITs just want to reiterate what tristan said earlier uh, first REITs invest in most types uh, including offices and then retail centers apartment buildings and even medical facilities number two REITs allow investors to earn from real estate invest out having to buy manage and finance these properties themselves. REITs generate a steady stream of income from, for investors from the asset base and also offer some sort of uh, some form of capital appreciation uh, down the line. And then finally, REITs are fairly liquid. They're traded in the Philippine Stock Exchange. So with that, thank you, Miguel, Tristan, Richard, Joey, and Jerome for the very insightful panel discussion today. It's an attendees. We hope to continue to bring you events like these for future events and stock market updates. Please continue to follow the BPI trade. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are those of the podcast creators, hosts, and guests and do not necessarily reflect the policies and position of BPI Securities Corporation or its other employees. Any content provided does not intend to malign any group, individual, or anything. This podcast episode is purely for information purposes only and shall not be construed as a solicitation to buy or sell any securities, futures, options, and their other financial instruments to participate in any particular trading strategy or to provide any investment advice or service. Any recommendation herein does not pertain to any specific investment objective, financial situation, or any particular need of the listeners.